Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Success Harbor Podcast with George Mazaros, where it's all about making success happen for you. Hi, everyone. This is George Massarish with Success Harbor, and I have Jason Cohen with me. Jason is a serial entrepreneur. He built and sold Smart Bear software. He, uh, he's now behind WP Engine. Welcome. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being here, Jason. Uh, now, WP Engine, those few people that may not know in the audience, is a managed WordPress hosting solution. Uh, what were you doing before you started WP Engine? Well, WP Engine is my fourth startup, so I was... I was uh... I had sold SmartBear in 90, uh, or sorry, 2007, and had left in 2009, had a baby, was a stay-at-home dad for a year. And then uh, at the time I had this, well, I still do have a blog about startups. It was getting popular, and the blog kept crashing every time I got good press, like getting on Hacker News. And so um, I, I had this kind of pain myself, and of course I uh, recognized that just because you have the pain doesn't mean that's a business. There's a big difference between the two things. But it turned out in this particular case, the pain was very common. Um, in fact, it turns out that uh, more than a fifth of the entire Internet is powered by WordPress right now. So lots of people with lots of websites um, had the kind of problems I had, um, wanting to make their sites faster or scalable or protected from hackers um, and and so on. Now we have lots of features and, and various things. But it all uh, stemmed out of a personal need, and I didn't have a, a solution that I could just use. So how did you test that... Uh to go beyond your personal need, that there was actually a wider need? Was it just your own network, or did you do some test advertising, or what kind of research have you done? Yeah, so <clears throat> I think, I mean, I, you know, I'm fortunate in starting, you know, the, the more reputation you have and so on, that you have a bigger network and more people you can ask. Um, that makes it easier. But there's a lot of things. So I was able to use my network and also just sort of reach out in general. But there's a lot of interesting techniques for finding people to talk to when you don't have a network built in. So, for example, something that I did at WP Engine later on um, that did not rely on my network. In fact, I didn't want to. I wanted something less biased. And so what I did is I'd go to LinkedIn. And you could do this, too. Anyone can do this, this particular technique. You go to LinkedIn and you find people whose title at their company matches the thing that you're interested in. And if you say, well, I don't know what their title would be, that's that's impossible to know, then I would argue it's going to be very hard to market to that person since you can't describe who they are. So supposing you can, and in this particular case, it was people who are independent WordPress consultants, um, in, in my case. So that was pretty easy to find people who said they were freelancers or consultants um, specializing in WordPress. So then I would reach out to these folks and say, hey, I know you're a consultant about WordPress. We're trying to build a product for you. Um, and I'd love to ask you about your daily life and the, the pain you have and uh, describe some of the things we're thinking about and see if that resonates with you. Um, I also know your time. This is the key thing. I also know your time is valuable, and I don't want to get your time for nothing. So I'd be happy to pay you whatever hourly rate you think is fair, even if that's bigger than your normal hourly rate, because this is a special one-off thing. But I really do want to know what you think, and I'm happy to uh, to pay to hear what it is. Now, what's interesting is um, I, I sent this 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 message through LinkedIn to 30 people, or at least 30 people responded. I think maybe it was more like 40 people. 30 responded. 100% of them took the call and said, "Yeah, I'd love to see what you're up to," and 0% of them actually wanted money. They all said, "No, no, I'll just take the call. I'm just interested." In other words, just because I respected their time. Um, and came at it from that from that angle, 
um, that was sufficient to get the meeting. And in fact, I didn't have to pay out, even though, of course, I would have because it would have been worthwhile to do that. So I think even if you don't have a network, you can do things like that um, to, to reach out and, and actually talk to the people you need to. So do you recommend that basically for anybody, regardless of what product it is? you know, that they're trying to build is to talk to, you know, I'm not saying as many people as possible, but at least some people. Um, I don't know what the number is. I, I, do you have any idea what the number would be? It's just yes. a, per, a gut feeling? No, uh, it's not a gut feeling, but it's also like everything in life. Of course, you can't use every technique in every circumstance. Of course not. Should you should you talk to people first before you build? And, and should you try to talk to more than just a few? And should you get out of your network? Well, the answer has to be yes, because you're going to have to anyway. In other words, if you're going to build this business at all, you are going to have to find potential customers and talk to them somehow, whether that's getting them to a website or talking to them on the phone or chatting with them or chatting over a ticket or emailing or going to conferences or sending out uh, postcard mailers. Like, I don't care how you're going to reach them. You're going to have to do that. So why not uh, start with that and see if you can reach them first and learn something since you're going to have to do it anyway. So I, th I think it's, it's very hard to argue against that particular uh, concept. In fact, that's where you get into trouble, of course, is you go build something without re without knowing how to get to people. And then it doesn't matter if you've built it or not, and it doesn't matter if it's awesome or not if, if you can't reach out to people. Um, now, so, so yes, I think you always have to do that. Now, the question is how many people? Um, the answer is definitely not like three, because then you don't have enough uh, data points <laughs> to know anything. Well, yeah. a lot of people do that. They'll say, well, I... I, I knew Talk this to my one neighbor from, and my cousin. <laughs> well, uh, like maybe it. if it's a consumer product, but it may be more like um, I got this idea from my dentist, uh, so I talked to him for a while, and then I then I talked to another dentist, and he agreed, so I'm going to do it, kind of thing, right? That's 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 not really that's not validation. But how many? Like uh, you know, I've seen people talk to 150, 200 uh, customers before they felt comfortable, um, or you know, as few as maybe 20 before it was really clear. Um, when I say I've seen a lot of people. Um, another thing that I've done is uh, I co-founded Capital Factory, which is an incubator here in Austin, and that was five years ago. So actually I have a, quite a bit of experience um, with new startups trying to help them through and help them grow and help them get through exactly these this part of, this hardest part of the, uh, of the phase where you're trying to figure out what, what do I even have, how do I communicate that, is there someone who even wants it, is that the right price, and all that sort of stuff. So, um, <clears throat> so how many people? So here's how I think about that. Um, first of all, it, the likely outcome is that you're wrong and there isn't a business. That doesn't mean you're wrong that there's no pain or you're wrong that the, the product's not interesting or that your features aren't, aren't interesting. Um, of course, they probably are or you wouldn't be so excited about them. Um, so that's not really the question. The question is, is there a business, meaning there are people and you can find them cheaply enough and you can communicate what it is you do and they agree they want it and they want to give you money for it and they want to give you enough money for it and so on. That's a business, and unfortunately, a lot of ideas are not businesses in that sense, and a lot of um, uh, actually pretty great products are not businesses in that sense, um, and a lot of pain that you see in the world is true, and yet you, you can't formulate a way to make money off of that pain. So first of all, the likely outcome is failure, that you can't really formulate how to make this work, and therefore, you should be seeking that failure. In other words, you should be almost trying to disprove that this idea is so good because it probably isn't. And the faster you get to that, the faster you can move on to something else or change what your idea is or change how you're approaching it and so forth. So you should be going into to disprove, not to validate. And as, as evidence of that, um, WP Engine was not my first idea. 
that I went out and validated. It was just the last one that worked when I was validating. I had other ideas before that. And when I went out and talked to people, and I would still talk to 30 people, I would find that it wasn't really converging on something. You know, I'd, I would show the product where I would talk about the product and, and inevitably the person I'm speaking to says, that's really interesting. Um, you know what you should, you know what you should do with that? And then they'd run off on some rabbit trail. You should charge a whole lot of money and, and sell it through consultants and it should go to fortune uh, 500 companies. The next person would say, that's a brilliant idea, but you know what you should do is add this completely different feature, make it freemium and go after like really small business and see if you can upsell this way. And then, Literally every person I talked to had like a different thought said, that's great, but then kind of veered off into a, a different way. And so I could not find a sort of consensus on what is it that I should build that seems like it, it matches the truth that many people see. And I couldn't find it. And so even though the idea, idea was quote unquote good, in fact, everyone said it was good. That was their initial reaction. Actually, it wasn't a business. And with WP Engine, it turned out that, yeah, it was a business too, but, but that's just the point. Um, so, so, also in that story is how you know how many people to to reach. So I mean it's got to be uh, low double digits clearly, or else you just don't you just haven't talked to enough folks. But what what happens is either it's not feeling right, you're getting different mixed messages. Some people just say no, that's okay. If some people say I'm not interested, that's fine. That's why you got to talk to more people. It's okay if three in a row say no, if the next uh, five say yes, right? Um, so so uh, you know discarding the no's and how many yeses do I have? Um, and then are they are they sort of is the story kind of converging on something that every that everyone's pretty much nodding about what price you're charging and how you're charging and what features would be necessary for them to get going and the state of their life and 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 what what pain they have and how they articulate it yeah, either that sort of converges onto some kind of shared truth i mean it's fuzzy it's not precise right but it sort of feels like you're having the same conversation over and over again in fact it gets boring because the conversation is so similar, you kind of know what's coming. At that moment, you've talked to enough people and you validated it. And the way you know is you've stopped learning. If you're bored because you've stopped learning, then this particular activity is not useful. That doesn't mean you know everything, but it does mean that this activity is not helping you learn more. So stop it and, and maybe it is time to build and get going so that you can have different conversations and, and, and move it along. On the other hand, if, if it sort of gets... Um, D disparate and and it's not converging on truth and a lot of people are saying no and it's always a struggle and and you're kind of afraid almost of what people are going to say next because it's going to be another god awful thing um that's a sign it's not working and uh you know just talking to more people is, is not likely to solve that what could solve it is is maybe you you see in that maybe a different pitch or a different thing and you go down a different path and keep talking to people that could work but again, the usual outcome is it's not going to work. So rather than beating your head against or developing a product that people will eventually not buy anyway and waste all that time, um, it's a good signal to, to 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 stop early and say, okay, this was too hard. This is get this is too hard to make work. Um, I got to find something easier. Um, another another way I put it early on with, with WP Engine was um, it was just super easy to get people to say yes to fifty dollars a month hosting. We made WordPress fast, scalable, secure, and if we answered the phone, we could we could a a answer WordPress questions and not just say, "Is my server up or down?" Um, it was so easy to do that, and and so I used to say, um, "Startups are so hard. There's so many things that are going to go wrong, and that you don't know yet, and 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 there's going to be so much struggle. Why in the world would you also set up other barriers like?" 
the stuff when you talk to someone needs to be really easy because there's plenty of other hard stuff that's going to stop you. So should that process early on involve taking people's money just to know that you have traction or, or people are actually are serious when they're talking to you? Well, I'm a big fan of that. And I almost always advise that people do try to get a check, even if it's a small one like $9. Um, because as you say, it's a signal. You're not really doing sales, though, so you don't want to fall into this trap where you're trying to convince the person that you're right. Because you probably can. I mean, you're probably persuasive. You're probably passionate about it. You're probably knowledgeable about the subject. So if you sit down with someone who is, in fact, a potential customer, and you beat them over the head for 45 minutes, they'll probably give you $9 just because uh, of that. And so that actually isn't validating anything. So uh, although, yes, I think at the end it's really interesting to ask for a check because that's, that is the best validation, um, I don't think you should go in thinking about that goal and driving toward that goal because I think you'll actually miss the point of talking to customers early, which is to learn from them, learn how what their life is like, um, not to sell. So, um, yeah. so even if you would go in and say, you know what, I'll, I'll pay me 50% and I'll give you a year's worth of service, uh, at the end of the meeting, before you actually decide that this is a good idea to build, you don't think that's something that we should strive for as a business? Well, as I said, you should. I think it okay. is wise to ask for that at the end. That's the ultimate validation. But what you should not do is think that that is the goal of the meeting. Because okay. then you get into salesman mindset, and that's wrong. Because you're not going to be able to sit down with every client for an hour and beat them over the head in future. Now, I guess if your business is that way, where you, you are going to be able to have that kind of sales, maybe that's okay. But if you expect to sell things over the internet um, and, and not have the, those kind of protracted sales things, if it's possible that you won't always be the person doing sales, um, then uh, then that's not validation. That's, you, that's coercion, and you're missing the whole point, which is to find out what you should build what their life is like. So for example, one of the one of the great things you learn from these conversations is you learn the language that your customers use to describe these things, which is almost never the language you use. Their language will be less precise, less accurate. They won't use as technical terms. They won't they won't use the right words. Um, they'll sort of be trying to say something, but they won't say it sort of the way that it, that is accurate. But those are the words you need on your homepage because those are the words in their own heads. Those are the words you're going to need in AdWords because those are the things they're going to be keying off of. Um, precision might be wrong. And so this is one of the things you, you get to learn is, um, oh, the way that, you know, they don't think of this, as, they don't think of, like when I say scalable site, I mean you get a lot of traffic. Almost none of our customers would ever choose that word, even though it's the correct word. So, so I shouldn't say scalable websites here in my AdWords. I should say something like, um, you know, if you get a load of traffic, we'll stay up. Or if you, if, um, if, if uh, a thousand people hit your website at once, we stay up or, or whatever the customer would say when the customer's thinking about it. So again, if you're in sales mode, you're just plowing through this. You're not listening to their words. You're not learning how they think about the world and how they think about stuff so that you can form your homepage. You're just, let me show you this feature. Let me tell you how great it is. Let me tell you the benefits that it'll have. Think about how your life will be like afterwards. Isn't that terrific? Won't that save you a lot of money? So isn't that at least worth $100 a month? Tell you what, I'll write that salesmanship. You're, 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 you're convincing and conjoling and explaining to them instead of listening to them and, and having them guide you 
into how you should then be selling the next thousand customers. Um, you'll be selling the whole rest of your life. This is your, ch- I mean, this is not your only chance, but this is your main chance to get out of the gate with something that that's kind of in the right ballpark. So you don't want to sell during the meeting, but in no. the end, before you leave, it's okay to say, would you pay 50 bucks for this a month or would you pay $100? Well, well, wait a minute. For- There's two things. One is, do you talk price, which is what you just said. Would you pay 50 bucks a month? You must talk price. This is I, I, this is controversial. There's a lot of folks who say you must not talk about price. Their argument is that um, it will taint the argument, uh, taint the conversation, that is, because the conversation and discussion should be around their life and their perception of things. The last thing you want to do is name a price and start talking about that and the value and the dollars and the budgets because you're still trying to find out what 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 would they even find valuable in the first place for any price for a dollar what would they find valuable and so let's not taint the conversation that's the that's the the counter argument um i actually don't believe in that counter argument at all and the reason is that i think your price determines many things about your business really the whole business if i tell you the product is a dollar a month you're like oh god a dollar a month geez it must not do a lot it may not be a phone number um Certainly, you can't sell it with sales calls. You're going to have to do it with super cheap, maybe even word of mouth. You probably can't even pay to acquire customers at that rate. Um, like just all this stuff that appears when you say a dollar a month. If I told you it's $1,000 a month, oh, I can't even afford it. Oh, well, then does it do X? Because, oh, do I need to get approval? What will I tell this other person? Because I'm going to have to talk to them. I didn't think I was going to have to. Now I do. It's a, In other words, the price changes everything about how you get to market, who has that kind of budget, um, why they make choices in buying um, and, and what the product might need to do or what might be okay for it not to do. Um, the price determines a lot of that. So to me, if you leave that out of the initial discussion, you've actually left out tons of important pieces of your business that you're going to need to understand. So I say you have to talk about price for sure. Um, I definitely did, and I said, would you pay me 50 bucks a month? And I tried different prices, of course, as I was I was talking to people, but 50 was what we converged on. Um, so let's talk about pricing. What do you think is the best way when it, when you price your product? Should we start high and then work our way to low or start low and then keep bumping the price up to see, see what resistance we're finding? Well, pricing, again, is, is like these questions like, uh, hey, how do I get my first 100 customers? There's no, there's no clean answer. Right? Mm-hmm. It's going to depend on lots of things. I mean, are you trying to bootstrap a business that only has one person ever? Are you trying to do a small bootstrap business? Are you raising money to build a huge business? Are you selling to consumers or or businesses? Is this something that's uh, you know what kind of businesses? How much value delivering? I mean, so so in the case ton. of WP Engine, how were you yeah. thinking about pricing? Were you thinking you know well I'm going to try three hundred dollars a month, see where see where it goes, and then lower it or increase or decrease? What were your what was your thought process? No, I talked to customers and asked them, what would you pay for this? I mean, that's why you got to do that because you, mm-hmm. you can't just draw numbers out of a hat and then hope that works. So, look, I mean, the the rule of thumb, of course, is charge the most you can. And not just because um, because that's not leaving money on the table or whatever cliche you like. Um, but also um, for any business, but especially a bootstrap business, um, the, the price you charge also determines the number of customers you need. Uh, before your business is really a going concern or before you get to a million dollars in revenue or whatever kind of milestones you might want, how profitable you are, um, the price determines that. And so higher is better. I mean, you much, much rather as a small business, much, much rather um, 
be charging in like fifty to one hundred and fifty dollar range per month, say, um, and then you only need about one hundred and fifty or two hundred customers before you're making ten to fifteen k a month in revenue, and you can quit your day job, and this is really a real business. And getting one hundred and fifty to two hundred customers is doable. I mean, you can scratch and claw your way there. You can you can have phone conversations if you have to to get to that point. In other words, you can sort of brute force your way there. It's hard to brute force your way to a thousand customers, certainly not to ten thousand. But you can definitely do 100 to 200 customers. So if the price is high enough, you, you really have a better shot of, of success. Most businesses, period, and full stop, never get 1,000 customers, never get as many as 1,000 paying customers ever. And so if you, charge, uh, if you don't charge enough, you have no choice but to get 1,000 customers. So, for example, if you're charging $10 a month, you have to get 1,000 customers even just to make ten grand a month in revenue which depending on your cost may not even be enough to quit your day job, uh, just depending. Maybe it is. Um, the point is you need a ridiculous number of customers. That's going to be hard to get to. Most co- co- companies don't. So, again, why are you, why are you choosing that path that's, that's so much harder? Um, so, in general, you know, more is better. Um, but, again, like every order of magnitude you go in price, everything changes. So, you could take that to its logical extreme and say, "I want to. It should be a thousand dollars a month. It should be ten thousand dollars a month. A hundred thousand dollars a month." And indeed, it can. But then the business needs to be different things. You're selling to different people who require different things that you probably can't deliver on right now, anyway. So that may not be an option. So again, um, you know, for better or worse, this is there's a lot of things tied up in that, so it's hard to give one answer. So it's like how long most, is a piece of string, right? Uh, it's it's hard to answer it like that. Well, what it is, it's, it's actually. Um, it's a very good discussion if you have a particular example of I have this business who has this, which has this goal with this, this model we'd like to use with these kind of customers. Then what should I do? What kind of tricks should I use? What should I do now later? I mean, of course, you have to start lower now because the product sucks now. It's the first product. Of course, it sucks. It always sucks. And then it gets better later. You can charge more. So that's clear. At the same time, again, if you charge too low, um, you've set wrong expectations. You're, you're getting customers who, by definition, don't spend a lot of money on software. That's a bad place to start. And again, you may need too many customers. A final thing on price, though, by the way, is um, with a higher price, you can afford to pay more to get the customer. Um, that can come in the form of time, like actually getting on the phone and doing a sales call. You can do that for a $100 a month customer, um, but you can't do that for a dollar a month customer. There's not enough time to do it. But it's also true of whether it's AdWords or Twitter or um, doing guest blogs or anything, anything where you're spending money in order to get attention or, and get um, get signups. The higher the price, the more you can afford in those arenas, and that means the more channels are available to you and more of the channel you can you can go bid against. And so, again, a low price, um, very few cha- marketing channels will be cost-effective, and so you've closed those doors. And, again, that, that's hard for a business to close those doors. You need lots of options because who knows which of those marketing channels will work for you who knows which ones you'll figure out. Um, so more options is that's the de-risking. That's the power is having more options, and 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 a, a higher price allows you to have more options, and that's why that's that's such a de-risker for a small business. So companies that want to be cheap because maybe they're afraid, you know, when they start out that it could, they're going to be expensive, it's going to be hard. They're actually increasing their chances of failure, right? Uh, in, in essence, because they just limit their own options. Yeah, you got to get a ton of customers, and you've you you can't pay to you you can't pay enough to get them. 
So it's how almost like well you need you magic. Get... You need something viral, which almost never exists, right? Yeah, viral <laughs> doesn't doesn't almost never exist. That's right. So now there's a difference between word of mouth and viral. Word of mouth can exist, but the problem with both true viral. Um, meaning the product itself truly does pull in additional users. That's what viral really means. The product does it. Or word of mouth. The problem with those things is before you have a critical mass of customers, those effects are nil. In other words, if I have 10 customers, it doesn't matter how much word of mouth they do. What am I going to get? One more customer? Like, I can't grow that way. Now, once you have, you know, these, you see some of these consumer businesses, once you get 10,000 customers or even 1,000 customers, certainly a million customers, then word of mouth is a real effect where viralness can really be powerful. But you're still going to have to, in, in a car analogy, you still have to have a starter motor to get the engine turning over before that effect matters. Um, therefore, to get going, word of mouth and viralness, even if you have it, is actually not a growth driver, not for a while. So you're still going to need an answer. Now, for some companies, the answer is, raising money so that we don't have to um, th that doesn't mean you don't have to charge although that's also a route some people take but raising money means well I realize that I've been going to charge I realize I'm going to need tons of customers for this to work but by raising money I can spend it anyway to get that engine turned over to get some of these effects happening and so on um, and that again of course is a completely rational perfectly fine answer so Again, this is part of the problem with the generic answer. If you're raising money, the answer is very different because your constraints and your goals are very different. So your actions need to be very different than if you're bootstrapping. And so it's not a matter of right, wrong, of course. It's a matter of aligning your goals with the business and your market you're going after and so on, uh, aligning things so that it's, it's consistent. So how did you – or I don't know how this applies to WP Engine, but – Going from monthly to yearly, or one versus the other, uh, what was your thought process in that? And do you think you can go? I mean, what? How do you determine which one is a better model for your business? Well, you don't have to pick. Um, we don't. In fact, most companies don't. Most companies have a monthly rate. Well, I mean, that is, most companies which have a monthly recurring revenue model in the first place, of course have a monthly rate and then they have an annual rate in which you have some discount, right? So if you're on an annual plan, um, it's cheaper than a month times 12. And so by you're, you're essentially paying the customer um, for the privilege of getting uh, a year of money up front. And that is always a good idea. And we can get into why, but uh, you know maybe it's better to cover more topics. But the, the basic and obvious reason is you get the cash today. And when you get the cash today, you can spend it today. You can spend it on that next set of marketing or that next feature you need to make or a conference that you finally can go to or you name it, right? The, 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 you can go put that to work now instead of waiting, and that's huge. At, at WP Engine, we have, we have marketing campaigns which pay themselves back in negative one months. What I mean is we get – because enough people pick annual, and that, of course, gives us more cash up front – that cash more than covers the cost of the marketing campaign. And so because the cash we get immediately, but the marketing campaign is paid on credit card, which we pay the following month, we actually get more money than it costs, and we don't have to pay that cost till next month, so that's why it's negative one month to get the money back. When you have marketing campaigns like that, which an annual plan affords you, uh, if, of course, people pick it, when that's possible, like that's the kind of cash flow you can suddenly have 
Um, and that's transformative to what a business can do, especially, of course, if you're bootstrapped and therefore you're, you're absolutely aligned to cash only. Um, but even even if you raise money, as we eventually did at WP Engine, still cash is king no matter who you are. And um, it's phenomenal. So it's, it's absolutely transformative to offer the annual plan. One little note on that. In our case, we're fortunate in that a lot of people pick the annual plan up front, and that's great. Most uh, products, that's not true. Even in our case, most people don't, right? But a pretty high percentage do more than you'd think. With most companies, it's not true because you haven't developed a relationship yet and you haven't developed trust yet. The customer doesn't necessarily know if they want this product for a year yet. Um, and trust and, and, and a relationship is something that builds over time. You don't get that immediately. You get benefit of the doubt immediately, but you don't get trust immediately. And so a lot of people are just not prepared to do an annual plan. But if you then message people six months after they sign up and say, hey, so glad you're getting all this use out of the product, so glad you're happy. By the way, did you know we have annual plans? If you wanted to now switch to that, um, you know, you get two months free or whatever the whatever your deal is there. At that point, since, they're, since they do like the product, they do trust you, they can see themselves using this, well, this is just a good deal for them. So just a reminder that coming back behind later after you've built that relationship is a great way to get the annual plans going, even if it doesn't work out on, um, in the initial sale. So let's talk about what worked for WP Engine in terms of signing on new customers, especially the first year or so in business. Um, so in our market, WordPress, there's a large community of people who already are active and talk to each other online and also at conferences. That's actually pretty rare for most markets that that would be true. But if you think about it, these are people who are freelancers. Therefore, they're online to get business and to talk to each other about what's going on. And also, they're people who are bloggers, which means they're active, they write and they're active on social media and so on. And so they're, they're particularly adept at that. Um, and therefore, using social media channels and, and so on was actually a really good way for us, though obviously that wouldn't necessarily automatically apply in other markets. Again, also there were these conferences. Now every, you know, every reasonable sized market has a couple of conferences, of course, but WordPress has over 300 conferences a year around the world. They're called WordCamps and they're in different cities. Um, and so with, uh, you know, with literally dozens of conferences per weekend that you could go fly out and attend. Um, it was really possible to get face-to-face -face with people, potential customers, number one, but number two, these people in the community. Um, and those people are very influential. Uh, you know, a lot of people look to them for advice on things like, the, like you know, hosting. So we, we were fortunate in that the, there were these dynamics in the WordPress ecosystem that we could, um, that we could tap into. Of course, today, we have lots and lots of channels in which we acquire customers. We try new ones all the time. Um, but just to calibrate the discussion, we have about 170 employees now, um, and we're still growing really fast in revenue and in, and in, in uh, employees and, of course, customers. Um, and so, of course, now it's very different. There's, there's tons of stories there. You know, it, it's a whole team of people doing different things and so on. It's their specialization, lots of different channels. But you know, we we had some things that were particular to the market. And I think when you look at lots of companies who are successful, you find that similar story. In other words, it's very when you, when you see a successful company, it's very rare they just said, I just took out some AdWords and it just worked. 
Like that's actually <laughs> not usually the story. Usually it's, there's something about the audience, the market that they're selling into where they had something unique. Either they had something unique to say and, uh, and that people wanted to hear. So they had an interesting story. Um, or they had some kind of creative marketing. And that doesn't mean it has to be super creative and no one's ever done it before. Not that kind of stuff. Maybe another company did something sort of creative in another market and you just copied it in your market because in your market, no one did that creative thing. That's good enough, right? That would be unique in the world. just has to stand out a little bit. And so perfectly fine copying other people's creative ideas from other markets to do that. So I don't mean to to sound like it's impossible. You have to be a genius. We certainly weren't, you know, super geniuses when it came to how we approached that. It was just we said, what's available to us in the market? Where do the influencers go? Can we go there? Two, and again, we're fortunate this market is is um is very um uh, well versed in social media, and therefore that was a good outlet for us. Um, again, though, like you can kind of look at it in either end of the telescope. You can either say, okay, so I have to find the the interesting or easy or unique parts of this market or messages in this market I can use, or you can use this as a constraint in deciding whether the business is a good idea at all. Again, going back to the idea that. Um, the idea is fine, but is it a business? So, you know, whether you can get to people easily, especially those first 200 people, uh, real customers, that is a big factor of whether the business will be successful. So if you have no ideas, there is no particular way, the market's noisy and um, too hard to break into, well, that might mean it isn't a good business idea. Uh, or that is, the idea is good, but it's, there's not an, int- the, an easy business to follow onto it. Um, you know, that, that might be one of those yeah. main things to kill a business. So when you start out, how many channels should you test simultaneously? Is it, you know, let's say you just have, you know, maybe like 10, 20 customers starting out. Should you try just a little bit, maybe multiple channels, and the one that hits, the one that works, drop the others and just focus on that one? Or, Well, here's how you know that's not a good strategy. Um, that is what everybody says, and most businesses don't. Uh, don't hit on it doesn't work that way right they don't find that one channel that works um, most businesses never find a channel that really works so I think the spray and pray thing is not particularly uh, useful so rather let's 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 not assume we know nothing at all about any of the channels and spray by the way of course as a, as a person or as a, as a small team of course you don't have expertise in all these channels so you start with I don't have expertise in this channel then you layer on, also since we're spraying to 10 channels or even even four, um, I, I don't have expertise and I don't have time to really try to do a really good job and really trying to learn how to use the channel. So I won't do a very good job. And so, of course, why would that work? Like there's no particular reason why that's a great, that sounds like a good plan, right? So instead, I would say, look, as the founder or the, the, the small team, um, some of these channels are just naturally something you understand better, like... You might say, I'm a big Twitter user, but Facebook is just weird. Great. Then work on Twitter ads, work on Twitter social media, and don't do Facebook ads because you don't understand that. You don't understand that environment. You don't understand that tool. You don't, the kinds of people who are there and love it aren't you. So your gut's not even going to be right. So the last thing you want to do is go there knowing that this is you're set up for failure, right? Instead, um, you know, of all the social media things out there, maybe there's one that's the one that you understand the best already. Focus that one. Or say, look, um, um, you know, we're going to hit in person. We're just going to do this in person. Or 
We're going to cold call. I'm good on the phone. I'm good at closing stuff on the phone. Now, will cold calling be the best strategy forever and ever? Maybe, probably not. So what? The goal isn't to do this forever and ever. The goal is to get to a critical mass of customers so that this is a real going concern and you're really reinvesting in the business and it's a real going business. That's the initial goal. And getting to that by any means necessary is perfectly fine. I think calling people on LinkedIn all day or other lists that you buy or whatever, if if you love the phone, you love calling, is a great strategy. And I've seen tech companies and actually other non-tech companies be really successful with that, but only because the founder already felt comfortable in that medium. That's why. I wouldn't feel comfortable in that medium. I hate the phone. I have to force myself to do these customer uh, interviews because I hate getting on the phone. I don't know why. I have like a phobia of the phone. Um, I'd rather do anything than to answer a phone call. Um, but so I I shouldn't start my business with cold calls. Those other folks were, if you send them an email, they're like, eh, I don't want to talk by email. Let's get on the phone. Well, that person, maybe you should start with cold calls. So what is it that you are sort of naturally um, adept at or comfortable with? And then just lean the hell into that. Um, that is your best chance of success. Now, that doesn't mean it'll work, and maybe you will have to try another channel, but get focused into something that's your best chance of success before giving up and trying a channel that's actually less, even less chance of being successful, and certainly don't dilute over a bunch of channels. That's To me, that's the worst use of your energy. So, so WP Engine has... I don't know how many customers you have, but it's tens of thousands, right? right. Customers at this point, approximately. Mm -hmm. So, at this point, what is what is better? How do you how do you grow? Do you grow by adding more services, or do you add grow by adding more customers? Which which is a better way to grow for you? Uh, at this point, yes, like, like right our, now, the current day. Okay, all right. So now you have to make a mindset shift because I've been speaking all about getting your first, you know. 50 customers, 100 customers, 200 customers. At, at, at our current stage, totally different mindset, totally different goals, different constraints, um, and so on. So um, there, there's there's quite a few answers to that question. There's not there, there's at scale. There's never one answer to things. Um, it's just more complicated than that. More there's more moving parts, more things to do. So for example, um, any business that um, that is a recurring revenue business has cancellations. Let's suppose that is 3% a month. 3% of your customers cancel every month. So let's suppose also that your your company at scale is growing at 3% a month. That's actually pretty fast for a company that's making, say, 50 to $100 million a year. Growing 3% a month is actually pretty impressive at that size. Um, like that's about 50% a year year over year, and, and once you're at, uh, say, 50 to 100 mil in revenue, that's pretty damn good growth rate. Um, even in tech, that's a good growth rate, certainly everywhere else. But wait a minute. So I add I add 3%, but then 3% cancel. So actually, that 3% I added, which is super-duper hard, gets t literally removed by the cancellations. I can't grow at all in that scenario. Now, early on, none of this matters. You're not focused on that at all. This, these, these, fa these factors are not there. But at scale, these statistical factors are a law of nature. So, for example, lowering your cancellation rate is one of the most important things you can do at scale, which isn't one of the things you mentioned for growth. But lowering the cancellation rate is actually an incredibly powerful lever to get to growth. Um, a second thing that's related to that, you'll see why in a second, 
is do the existing customers upgrade? Do they upgrade automatically because it's like uh, you know pay by use, and so if they use it more, they already pay more money? Or maybe it's tiers, and you're like, hey, you're on you know the middle tier. You should be on the higher tier because you get these features, and do you try to upsell them on that? Or as you say, are there additional services they could purchase? That's yet another way, right? There's different ways in which a customer could grow their business with you. Or for an enterprise customer, we have we have both small business and enterprise customers. On the enterprise side, you have conversations around, hey, this this whole campaign went really well, but there must be other campaigns there. Maybe maybe we should be talking to them. And that's another way to grow an account on the enterprise side. So there's many ways to grow an account that you already have. Growth of accounts you already have, in a, in, a, in a way, if you think about it, mathematically counterbalance the cancellations because if 2% of people literally leave, but of the ones who remain, two, you get 2% more revenue from them due to all of the factors I just mentioned. Um, that in, literally cancels out the cancellations even before we get to the growth side, just focusing on the customers you have. Some leave, but some grow within you. When you can get that to counterbalance, that is, People are growing within you as much as they're canceling. That's a magical point mathematically because instead of having this cancellation rate, which is an exponential decay that's very hard to get in front of, you've now eliminated that. In fact, the best companies have a negative net churn, as that as that mathematics is called. Um, in other words, they grow even despite cancellations with just their customer base. Rackspace is a hosting, hosting company which, which has that uh, characteristic. So though, uh, Salesforce has that characteristic. Zendesk has that characteristic. So that's part of why those companies are so highly valued and why they can grow so fast, even though they're big at scale, is because they actually have negative net churn and their, their customer base itself actually grows even despite cancellations. Then on top of that, you have growth. So this is the reason I'm, I'm, I'm like dwelling on this is these are these interesting factors which appear as you grow. And they suddenly become mathematically important. In fact, not, not just somewhat important, but literally prevent you from growing any further unless you've addressed them. And of course, you need to address them early, uh, not wait till it's a problem, right? Yeah. So when we think about growth, there's all these dimensions, retention, so cancellations, these upsells, I could say, is it new products? Is it growing within us? Enterprise is different than small business, and so on and so on. Um, and and then also there's new customer growth. And so there, there's a whole bunch of channels. You know, some of it is sales assisted, some isn't. There's all kinds of different channels. And then in the different advertising channels, we have different strategies depending on what's going on there. I'll give you an example because this is applicable to literally all businesses. So hopefully this is useful information. So you think about these marketing channels, all of like AdWords, Facebook ads, Twitter ads, going to conferences, sending out mailers, doing uh, magazine ads, billboards. I mean, you can, you name it. Like these are all ways to reach people. So channels, right? Um, so each of these channels has some kind of limit or, or inventory limit where there's nothing more to buy. So like with AdWords, you could bid the highest possible on whatever keywords are relevant to you. And however many clicks you get, you can try to optimize that a little more, of course, try to get more clicks. But ultimately, there's only so many people searching for those keywords and who will see you and click you. There's only so many, so much. And uh, Google click traffic is actually going up very slowly now. Uh, last decade, it was going up fast. So people think of that as going up fast. It's no longer the case. In fact, uh, it's, it's one of these questions that Wall Street now has on Google is how they will grow, continue to, their overall company growth at an interesting clip when search traffic is not growing at an interesting clip. So anyway, the point being, 
whatever AdWords can deliver, that's pretty much all it can deliver. It will maybe grow kind of slowly, but there's just not that much left. You tap out the channel. So when you're thinking about growing a company at scale, you tap out these channels, there's nothing left to, to, to provide. So you have to go get additional channels to continue growing. And so at scale, yes, you are testing multiple channels and doing that. But that's because your attention isn't divided. You, in fact, have a whole team to go after that. So you have the time and money to, in fact, go after that in, a, in a, an intelligent way, unlike when you're first starting out and that dilution of your time is, is deadly. Um, here you can simply plan for it, hire for it, budget for it, maybe have consultants in certain areas. And so, in fact, you can and, and must um, attack that, but only because you have the time and resources um, where that then it's rational. So we have lots of channels. Some of them are saturated, and so, so our, our, our efforts there are around optimization, um, then others are not saturated, so our effort there is around how can we take the most inventory there. Um, another interesting point, I, I know maybe I'm rambling, but um, hopefully no, this okay. is interesting. It's good even, information. Okay. Even when you're starting out, this is useful. There are, there are marketing channels which are zero-sum games, and there are marketing channels that are not. So what I mean is um, there are channels where if you get, the, if, if you get a click or a customer or, or you know, a lead, then someone else doesn't. And there's other marketing channels where that's not true. So, like in social media, um, that's an important channel. But it's not true that, like, if you talk to someone, no one else can, right? It's not like that. It's simply that you're present and you're part of it. AdWords is also not zero-sum. You have an ad, but so do other people. And, yes, maybe you can get better ad position, but still other people will get clicks. Um, so it's not zero-sum either. But other things are. So an example would be an affiliate program. So these are people that um, – when they give you a lead or when they give you someone who closes, then you pay them, um, you know, like a kickback for having done that. And some affiliates use email lists to, do, to drive that. Some people are good at SEO, so they'll write articles that get ranked highly. That drives traffic to the article. Then through the article, it clicks over to you and they get credit. There's different ways affiliate works, but that's the fundamental way. Affiliates are a zero-sum game because an affiliate who has an email list of, say, 100,000 emails um, – He's not going to shill for a whole lot of companies in the same space. Like He's not going to shill for a 10 different hosting companies because he doesn't have a good story for why he's recommending so many different ones. Like He wants to say, look, these guys are the best. Let me tell you why. It's a service to you that I'm even telling you this. So he can't tell that message 10 different ways in a year, right? Like that, That's just mm -hmm. disingenuous. So that guy is going to promote somebody. He is going to promote some hosting company because he can make money at that. And whoever he promotes – He's promoting them and not anyone else. Whatever leads he sends, he's sending to them, not anyone else. That's a zero-sum game. So one thing I want to point out is that zero-sum games, again, when you're first starting out, this distinction is not as important because you're just trying to get customers, right? You're just trying to claw your way into this thing. Once you get to scale, since, since that's what we're now talking about, zero-sum games are interesting because they're more um, – it's more valuable to get a customer in a zero-sum game because it's someone you got and a competitor didn't. And so um, that's an interesting different dynamic along those channels. And so your strategies there might be different than they would in other channels where that's not true. So, um, and of course, word of mouth and that kind of stuff is still super important. I think we get about a third of our signups through word of mouth even today. So word of mouth, definitely important. Um, how can you, uh, so early on, as we said earlier, um, if you only have 50 customers, there's not much they can do to help you anyway. There's not enough people. But now, as you say, we have tens of thousands of customers. And so, yeah, if 1% of them a month help us find a new, uh, a new um, person to sign up, 
um, that's a hundred or you know one or two actually yeah hundreds of new customers in a month. That's a lot. That's material um, to a company of any size to, to get one percent a month from word of mouth. So um, so that's yeah that becomes really important at scale. So that becomes a whole campaign. So lots of different things all going at the same time. Those are of course not even all of the things that we think about. Um, when it, when it comes to to growth at scale, but as you can see, there's there's actually a lot of components that go into to driving real growth um, because scale brings complexity. Yeah, uh, you know, earlier you mentioned that most businesses never get a thousand customers. Yeah, and that's so. You know, I believe you, and I, you know, and all that. But why do you think that is? Why do you think it doesn't sound like a huge number? But why me. do you think they never get to a thousand? I mean, you know, okay, your business has tens of thousands of customers, okay, uh, and there are cus- businesses with millions of customers, and you know, but a thousand sounds Not doable. Really. It sounds no, doable. I disagree. Name a co- name uh, three companies with millions of customers, and I mean paying customers, not people who downloaded an app. That's not a customer. Well, Dropbox is is one, but I don't think that they have. Uh, most of those are free accounts, right? Right. So paying it's, customers. It's, yeah, Google, you know, Google Drive. I don't think most people are paying. So yeah, right. uh, it's 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 tough. Amazon does. Uh, yeah. Apple does. Yeah. eBay, you could argue, they're not they're not recurring customers, but they're customers. I you can you can. But count what do you like, need to do to have a thousand customers? Why? What's missing from those businesses that just can't get a thousand uh, thousand customers? Is it systems or is it just the market know, they're look, it's in? Just, it's just super hard to, to to get that many people to agree to pay for something. Like to get enough attention from enough people. I mean, you think about the 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 the, um, the chain of events that has to happen for a small company for a person to buy from them, and it's it's like it. It's basically impossible. Like if you were to describe it, it's like that's never going to happen. Like first, you have a company with no brand and no money trying to get attention on the freaking internet, which is where all the money and all the brands and all the other little companies are yelling. There's there's like basically impossible to get any attention ever on the internet. Number one. So then somehow or another, you you know you don't have SEO, you don't have a brand, you don't have anything to go, you don't have a budget, you have nothing to go on. Somehow or another, though, you find someone on the internet. Who knows how you did that? And they land on the homepage. Now, you and I know that most of the time people bounce off the homepage in four seconds, right? Like literally most of the time you get four seconds and they're gone. That's the usual case. After that, that rare event that you even found somebody. Okay, great. They're gone. All right, somebody stayed. Who knows why? Who knows what caught their attention on the homepage? Who knows? Uh, but I hope you can find it and I hope you find some of those hooks when you're talking to customers, by the way, because that is hard to hook them in four seconds, isn't it? Better have the right words there. Anyway... So they stay. Then they read through your tripe. You have this weird marketing copy. It's not very good. You have a grammar error you forgot to find. Um, it's not really speaking to, to them yet. They're wading through screenshots. The design isn't great because this is your first website. Somehow or another, they're not deterred by all this nonsense, and they use the product. Now, how do they use the product? Um, well, did they download something or they had to log into something or somehow or another they had to get through more barriers, more reasons to not do it before they use the product. Also, they saw the pricing and they weren't deterred. By the way, they can be deterred because it's too low and they think, oh, this is just some crap. It's too low. I need a serious company or vice versa. This is too high. I don't have the budget and they leave. All kinds of reasons why pricing can deter someone, right? So, okay, so they're, they're undeterred by price. They're undeterred by trying the product and then they try your product. You're a new company, so the product can't be that good. 
It can't have all the features they want. It can't work the best. It can't be the fastest. It can't be anything that's the best because it's new. Of course it's not. Somehow or another, they decide, nevertheless, they're going to pay you money for this pile of crap. And eventually they give you money. Now, the idea that that chain of events is going to happen with any frequency is almost ludicrous. And so it doesn't. <laughs> so it doesn't. Like, why would it? It's crazy. Um, and even if you say things like, oh, I'll find those people because I'll use AdWords. Great. A click-through rate that's great on an AdWord is 1%. I mean, that's tops if you get 1%. Right, that means 99 out of 100 people who search for the thing are, you know, at, at best you get like one out of the 100 coming in. So you start working the math backwards to 100, 1,000 paying customers. 1,000 paying customers, how many get through that ridiculous funnel I just said? Like one in 100? No, one in 100 only just get through the click on AdWords, right? And at yeah. best, another one in 100 get through that damn web page, a conversion rate for a homepage, or sorry, a whole website of, of 1%. Again, pretty good. Um, so... That's 10,000 to one right there. So those thousand people, you got a 10,000 to one right off the bat, like, like just conversion rate off the homepage and AdWords, even this, I, I'm ignoring the whole rest of the funnel, all these other reasons why they wouldn't do it or they'd leave. Right away, you're at a, a 10,000 to one disadvantage. So it's not, so you have to get in front of 10 million people to get to a thousand people. And that's being op optimistic about your conversion rates. 10 million people to get to a thousand. How in the hell are you going to get in front of that? And again, with no brand, no SEO, no you know, no social media presence, no budget. Yeah. Of course it's impossible. Now I say impossible. Of course I don't really mean that. I'm being superlative on purpose to make the point of why it's so hard. It should be hard. Why would in the world we think that was easy? Of course it's not. Again, even if the product is good and your idea is good, of course it's not easy. And again, that's why I get back to. Well, but could I get 20 just by the hard way, like calling people or going door to door physically or paying a too much in AdWords or, you know, and, and, you know, again, these other things which you might say are quote unquote not scalable, not cost effective. Okay, but could I claw my way in anyway? Or PR, PR like I get a, a guest post at a, at, a, at a great blog and I get maybe a 20 people out of that, uh, right? Because I get a couple thousand hits my page, maybe 20 of them sign up because they're sort of predisposed to like me. Um, yeah, that's possible. Like, I think you could claw, you can claw 10 or 20 people out of good, uh, you know, one good PR hit and you can claw some people out of Coca-Cola. Like, yeah, you can definitely claw and scratch your way in there, but to a thousand, maybe, but man, maybe, but why again, you know, going back to the top, like why set yourself up for that slog when it's so hard? Um, Let's set it up so that 100 customers actually gets you cracking, and 200 customers means it's really you've quit your job and you can plow one or two grand a month back into the business. If we can set up the business model like that, man, at least then if you're successful in in all these difficult things, um, you don't have to get to 1,000 first with that with that impossible thing. Let's get to something else first. Okay. Uh, we, you know, we were like way over the 30 minutes, so I'm just, I just have like one more question, and uh, sure. uh, I appreciate you uh, staying on. Uh, if you started a business today, a new business, uh, what would it be and why? Where do you see the opportunities in, in business today, 2014? Well, I mean, again, like that's – there's opportunities anywhere. Okay. Anywhere, like even the big, huge, successful businesses I mean, that sounded so stupid at first, like were impossible. Like really, people are going to rent out their sofa and they trust strangers and deal with money and damage. And 
It's impossible. And of course, Airbnb is one of the big success stories out of Silicon Valley. So no idea is too weird to potentially be successful. No market isn't, you know, is done and there's no room for innovation at all. That's, that doesn't exist. So, um, I mean, it's anywhere. It also depends on your goals. Like if you say, look, what I want is just to take control of my own life. It's okay if I never make $10 million or something. What I want is to quit my day job, pull down, put 10K in the bank in profit every month after operate. Like I want to get to that point. It won't happen immediately. I just want to get to the point where like, I'm putting 10, 20, 30K a month in profit in the bank. I'm in control of my own life. I'm, I own something. It's a, it's an amazing journey. It's an amazing challenge. Well, that, then that is incredibly great and it's, and it's possible. But of course, the, the, the markets you go after, the choices you make in product and in the business model and in the support model and what opportunities would make sense for that kind of a business, it's going to be totally different than if you say like, hey, I'm going to disrupt hotels and be worth $10 billion. Okay. Well, <laughs> great. Well, you know, the, the guy working by himself should not try to disrupt the hotel industry, but some, someone else t- totally can. So again, you know, what is it that you want out of the business? Um, and then, and then how can we find opportunities where you're the right person to attack that opportunity? For some reason, you have some edge, like you have an insight or you have industry experience or you have some customers, you know, you can bring in and solve some of that problem, um, or whatever, whatever your insight is into this particular problem that you're bringing in. And, um, you know, how can we get to a sustainable business and a reasonable number of customers and reasonable marketing channels? And get a get a product that's not too terribly hard to build, not too terribly risky, so we can get it out there. Um, and you know, all these these basically, all you're doing is de-risking different aspects of the business. How can we do that in a way that's going to work with the goals and and path that you have in mind? That's the that is the right question, because there's no area or industry or market or audience or anything that in which it's not possible to innovate and do something valuable. On that note, Jason, I re- I really appreciate it. there's so much uh, that uh, so, such a great information and, uh, from you, and I really appreciate you coming on Success Harbor. How can people find out uh, about WP Engine or connect with you? Sure. So for WP Engine, it's wpengine.com, um, and you can see what we're doing there. And if you, look, if you need a WordPress site, then maybe you should be using us because we are our success is ultimately earned by having a great product right so um so so maybe uh, it's useful for you but um but uh, if you want to find you know all all these kind of thoughts you know part of the reason i have so much information to share is because i've been because i help other uh, startups as an investor and as a mentor and i've been writing about it for i don't know seven years or something and it's just been a passion of mine to get better at writing get better at articulating um and, and put that into words. And so I blog at blog.asmartbear, the letter A, smartbear, the animal, dot com. Um, and so there's a, there's hundreds of, of uh, articles there. I don't post often because I try to do, you know, higher quality, lower frequency, um, especially recently because WP Engine's taking so much uh, time. I don't really don't have time to write a lot, but there's, there's years of archives there too. So that's a, that's a good way to find a lot of, uh, of advice. 
Sounds good. So everybody out there, check out WPEngine.com and uh, say hi to uh, Jason at blog.asmartbear.com. Thank you very much, Jason. I hope you'll come on again sometime in the future and wish you much luck with WP Engine. You guys are doing awesome. Thanks. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Thank you very much.